So good to see each and every one of you today. As I've already said, it, it does my heart so good to, to see you all. Um, I've spent uh, much time in prayer this week for a couple of reasons. The first and most important is that I love God and I like to be close to Him and I like to be with Him. And I'm so privileged that um, it is now part of my profession and the expectation of my life to do it in the way that I'm able to do it. The second reason is because um, it's difficult to explain. And we're very fortunate that in this congregation there are many former pastors. And so some of you know what I mean uh, when I say what I'm about to say, but there is something very unique that happens when you become a pastor and when you're anointed to be a pastor that your heart becomes deeply connected to the people who God has asked you to help him shepherd and so so many of you I have the privilege to know you and call you friend but I'm not going to lie and tell you I'm everybody's best friend. But I see your faces. And sometimes when I'm with the Lord, I see your faces. And, and for just a, a glimpse, like looking through a keyhole, I'm so privileged because sometimes I, I feel the sensation and that I see what God sees and how much He cares for you. And I pray every day, God, help me to see what you see. And God, help me to love people how you love people. I think that as a human being, the most profound thing that you can do is love others the way that God loves us. And you may call it, you may say, well, that sounds really hippie or whatever. I don't, you call it what you want to call it. I think that is the issue in the world today. Is that we're horribly inadequate at what it means to love each other. My point in saying these things to you is I think it's so important for you to hear it. And if you can hear it from me, I'm very glad about that. And if you can't, then I'll say it on credit. But God loves you. He loves you. The scripture says that He knows that He has numbered the hairs on your head. Now, some of you, that's hard work, and then others of us, that don't take Him very long. <laughs> but it also says that He catches our tears in a bottle. And what that means is there's not an actual bottle in heaven with your name on it, you know, and it doesn't say like Jake's tears or DQ's tears or, you know, or Joey's tears. It doesn't say that. That's, that's, a, that's an analogy. It's a metaphor for what? There's never been one ounce of pain that you have felt in your life that he wasn't watching. And when it says he catches my tears in a bottle, here's what it means is that your pain doesn't even hit the ground and God gets involved. 
And I come to tell somebody today that we serve an eternal spiritual God. Thank God we serve an eternal spiritual God. He, mo- he moves and He does things sometimes and you can't see it. Sometimes you don't always feel it right away. But I need to tell somebody that God's been faithful to you. And He is being faithful to you. There's never been an obstacle in your life that He wasn't watching. There's never been a difficulty in your life that He wasn't trying so hard to get involved. Here's what I've learned about humanity. God's involved as much as we let Him be. And I'm about to start preaching here, so you just go ahead and just we're just going to ride the wave. You know, God has plans. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. I need to remind somebody, He's got a plan for you. You weren't born into the world by chance. He knew you and He formed you before you ever were. The reason why you don't feel that is because life has a way of making us hard. So I need to say that again because I'm going to bust that wall just a little bit. Before you were ever made, He knew you. He formed you. And part of His knowing and His forming is that He made a plan for you. Before you were ever a sparkle in your mama's eye, before you were ever a twinkle, In your daddy's eye, he knew you. He formed you. He made you. And he called you to a specific plan and a specific purpose. That means that you can live life intentional. There's something to chase after. Paul says, I'm trying to lay hold of the thing that laid hold of me. Sometimes God's plan reaches out and grabs a hold of you. And so sometimes Jesus, when he knocked the apostle Paul off of his donkey, he said, Paul, why do you keep kicking against the goats? Why do you keep fighting against my plan for you? And I need to tell somebody, it's time to quit running. It's time to quit running. God is tired, and I love you. The rest of us are tired of watching you kick against the goats. We're tired of watching you kick against God trying to get your attention. Because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And if God gave it to you before you ever were, that means nothing you can do now can change his mind about his plan for you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that one more time. That means there's nothing you can do now to make him change his mind. But then why does the apostle Paul say things to us like, set aside the sin that so easily besets us? That's because God's plan is His preference. This is what He prefers to happen. But He values humanity so much that He gave us free will. And free will says this, God says, I have the plan. I've made the road. I have formed the path. All you have to do is choose to walk it. And so here's what we do. God lays out a straight path for us. And a lot of times we say, oh, I'm following God. And because of the messiness of the human soul and the messiness of life, we wind up doing this. All this, God's trying to take us this way. And we get mad and we get offended and we get upset and we get touched by the difficulties of life. And we we stay mad and don't come to church for six weeks. 
you know, and then my job got real busy, and maybe if I make more money, people love me more and appreciate me more. And this whole time, God is trying to just get you to just walk this way. What are we to do with this dilemma? You know it's true. I know it's true. What are we to do? Jesus. When we had the Old Testament and we had the law, man, that thing was cumbersome. And so if you kept the law perfectly, here's what the sensation was like. I'm following God, but I'm weighed down under all this weight. Because there's so much you can do and there's so much you can't do. Every time I mess up, an animal has to die. Stay in holy's bloody work. Oh, I'm preaching right there. I know that some young people may not know what I'm saying, but I know there's some old saints knows what I'm saying. You imagine how heavy the weight is? Let me just help the imagery out a little bit. Sometimes the weight was real heavy carrying all this and being holy is bloody work. And, and sometimes when the going gets tough, you even Jesus had to have a friend to come beside him and get up under his arm. Can I just point out the man who helped Jesus was a man of color. It wasn't some Anglo-Western European Viking looking dude. It was a man of color come up under Jesus' arm and help the master carry that burden. Because being holy is hard work and it's bloody work. And so everywhere our master went, what was he doing? He's walking that straight path, carrying that heavy weight. Why? So that all we had to do was follow in his footsteps. And so now the messiness and the burdens of life, I don't have to carry all that because the same man who carried that cross, what did he say to us? Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, that is such good preaching right there. There are some people in this room today. You go right ahead and clap. There are some people in this room today. You came in heavy. You, you came in heavy. There's some people, you're listening to me right now. You can't even clap. You can't even say amen because you feel heavy. And that's okay. That's okay. I knew you were coming. The Holy Spirit knew you were coming. But Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, I did the heavy work for you. I carried a burden you couldn't carry. I spilled blood you couldn't spill. I sp he spilled blood that I couldn't spill. He bore stripes that I can't bear. He was bruised for iniquities that I couldn't be bruised for. He's already done the heavy lifting. I believe it's James says, cast your cares on the Lord. For he cares for you. Don't you know that all the, the muddiness of our life, the mess, the bloodiness of our life, Jesus took all that on himself for us. And so here we sit in the year 22. And in many ways, we're still so human that we understand clearly the things I'm talking about, the difficulties of life. And we're still teaching the same life-giving, life-altering, life-empowering, life-changing message that there was a perfect one 
who has gone before us to straighten out the path. And when you get lost about, you know, sometimes desert sand all looks the same color. And so I've been to Israel, I've been to Jerusalem, and there's a lot of this white limestone. I think it's limestone. And it's everywhere. It kind of runs together. But don't you know when you follow Jesus, there's a blood trail to follow. And that bright red blood stands out on that bleach white stone. And it's so easy to see and to follow in his footsteps. And so I have a passage of scripture that I want to read to you today. I promise you this is not going to take very long. Moses, this is just after where we studied last week. And so last week we examined the battle of Rephidim, where there was a natural and a spiritual battle to be fought. So there's some beautiful imagery there that Jesus in that story, he represents Moses and Joshua. So once again, here's some beautiful imagery. Moses is on top of a mountain doing what? Holding up a stick. Do you see some imagery there? He's holding up a stick, and what does he have on both sides? Someone to help him win the spiritual battle. But Jesus also is like Joshua, and that he fought the natural, messy battle of what? Showing us how to really love people. That is some good preaching right there because when he loved the widows and he cared for children, when he fed the hungry and he healed the sick, he's doing the muddy, bloody work of fighting for humanity. So Jesus did both. And so they've won the battle of Rephidim and then they come to Mount Sinai. So Moses is there with all the people. And this is uh, three months after the people have crossed over the Red Sea and so they're living on the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula, and the story picks up here in Exodus 19, in verse 3. And it says this, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, And tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians I love this oh my goodness and how I bore you on eagles wings and I brought you to myself creator God infinite God as we sang today he is the beginning and the end he's perfect and he's holy and look at this personal language that he's giving to his people He says, you saw what I did to Egypt. And I came and I got you. I rescued you. You couldn't get out of that yourself. And I saw that. And I came and I did it for you. I'm going to say that again. He did it for you. And what did he say? I bore you on eagle's wings. And I brought you to myself. Now, as a little boy, I love to read stories about brave knights that slew dragons and rescued the proverbial damsel in distress. And so when I hear God using this kind of language for his people, I imagine God kind of in his armor with a big sword looking at the woman he loved saying, I've rescued you. You were trapped and I did the fighting and I got messy so that you could be free. I need to remind somebody today that he has and he will bear you up on eagle's wings. So bore you on eagle's wings is fancy Old Testament language for he carried you. He picked you up 
and he put you on solid ground. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the children of Israel. And so a lot of times we today, we get put off by words like obey. I love you enough to challenge you a little bit. We, we think we live in a country where because we have a constitution and a bill of rights, I get to do what I want. No, 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 no. Now, you may get to enjoy certain rights as an American citizen, but in the universe, can I just remind somebody, America ain't been around that long. Word's still out, okay? I love you all, but we need to really find where are we in the timeline of history. America's not been around that long. Just because the Bill of Rights says it don't mean you get to do it. Because there is a king who is above all other kings... And his nation is above every other nation. And the scripture says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The prophets prophesied when he comes, the government will be on his shoulders. So as a believer, my, my, my shield of faith are not documents written by human men, although I appreciate those documents. My ultimate authority is what God says. And so if God looks at you and says, hey, I need you to obey, then here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to help you. How many of you, when you tell your children to obey, what are you trying to do? You're trying to do one of two things. You're trying to protect them or teach them. Teaching is preemptive protecting. That's really good. I just came up with that. You might want to tweet that. Teaching is preemptive protecting. So if I teach you the right way, I'm protecting you before the wrong way presents itself, right? And so when God says obey, it's an act of love that says, let me keep you from danger. There is danger in the universe. There are bad things in the universe. And did you know that God is very much okay with that? That doesn't, that's not off-putting to him. And so what does he say? If you obey me and you keep my covenant, what's the covenant? A covenant is a sacred agreement about a relationship. The easiest one for us to look at is marriage. It says what? In sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, what? We will be together no matter what. So that means if all of a sudden I'm broke, she's not going to leave me. Because she's committed to me, not my money. I, I, it has to be said. I mean, used to, we just knew these things, but we ha it has to be said. And it also, if she gets sick, I can't go, oh, well, I'm trading you in for a newer model. Like when your iPhone won't update right and the internet won't work right, what do you do? You run down to the AT&T store and say, get me that new one, boo-boo, I got to go. Well, you can't do that to your wife because you got a contract with AT&T. You ain't got a covenant. With her, you got a covenant. Thank you, Lewis. I'm preaching really good. And so that don't mean just when she got the flu. That means when, when her emotions are sick. When she says and does things I don't understand, I can't go, you dragging me down. You, we're not vibing together anymore. I got to go trade you in. You can't do that.
And I love all the saints of God's house, but you need to remember that when you swore him as Lord and Savior because you wanted him to save your soul so you wouldn't go to hell, what you were really entering into was a love covenant with God. Oh, we're right on the cusp of some real strong preaching right here. So let me just remind some saints that when you're in covenant with God, that means that you have to love him, obey him, and follow him when you've got lots of money. And when you don't have lots of money, you have to stay connected with God when things on the job are good and when things are not so good. What do we have to do? I'm in covenant with God. I'm going to make it real for you. A covenant with God. God don't make halfway covenants. God is a whole thing kind of God. You wouldn't like it if you married your wife and she looked and said, you only getting half the cookies. I'm going to be straight with you. I, are there any... Okay. Okay. You ain't going into no marriage covenant and you only getting half the cookies. What makes you think that God's going to send his son to die for you and pay the price and he's going to settle for half? He don't want half. He wants the whole thing. Look at you never say, he wants the whole enchilada. But here's the thing, when he wants and he gets the whole thing, that means the whole thing all the time. And so that means you don't get to pick and choose what parts of your life you're going to let him be Lord and King over. And a lot of times we like the God who tells us yes. This bunch over here, y'all really having to help these saints over here this morning. I love y'all, but y'all struggling. You don't get to love. We love God when he says yes. We love God when he's going to bless us, keep us, protect us. We love the God that even when young lions lack and suffer hunger, we shall not want for any good thing. We like that God. But sometimes we don't like the God that tells us no. When he says no, you can't be like the Amalekites in the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. You can't be like them because you are my special people that I bore you on, eag on eagle's wings. You are a set-apart holy nation. They're supposed to be kings and priests. So you can't go around doing life like all those guys because I've set you apart for myself. I've got a covenant with you. You are mine. Whew. Sometimes you need to get your wife and look her in the eye and say, baby, you're mine. I don't own you. I love you. You are mine. Though. I want the whole thing. Y'all have to forgive me. It was my wedding anniversary yesterday. And so I'm still floating in the afterglow. <laughs> we like God tells us yes, and we don't like the God that tells us no. You know, sometimes it, we get really tight. We, we draw up sometimes when things get a little uncomfortable. Like when God, we like God when we party. I love it. Y'all listen, I love it. And I'm going to tell you something I love about the Gate Church worship team. These guys know how to party. And here's what I mean. You put them on a platform, give them a microphone. If you're having a bad day, if you'll just, let, if you'll just follow those guys, they're going to lead you to the party place of God's presence. It, listen, I'm just, can I just say a few things? If you're struggling with things like anxiety and depression, Gate Church is where I'd come. Because we know how to help get that stuff off you, man. 
because we'll get beside you right in the middle of your tears, put our arm around you while we're going to do We're going to party because God is good and he's wonderful. I'm going to tell you what else God does, though. God sometimes likes the party to stop. And the scripture says, like a still, small voice. He likes to talk to you. And my dad always said this to me, and I love it because it just made perfect sense to me. But God likes to, when he's looking at you and he's got you right there, he likes to take his and put his finger on your heart. And here's what he does. He'll say things like, I love that about you. He'll also, in those intimate moments, he will put his finger on things and say, Now, that's hurtful when a person does that to us. But he's not a person. And so when God says, I don't like that, why doesn't he like it? Because that's bringing death to my life. Part of being in covenant is you get the good and the bad. And so God in his love for us says, I love you enough that I will confront and I will deal with the things in your life that need to be addressed and need to be dealt with. And so then in verse 7, we come along, and Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and he laid before them all the words with which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, I want to give you some context here. This is, a, this is, this is literally an eternal love story that is unfolding. And so God says, I rescued you because I love you and I want you for myself. I want to take you and I want to raise you above all that sin and wickedness that the rest of the nations are stuck in. And then the people answer to God and they say, you go tell God, Moses, yes. What just happened? Will you marry me? This is what's happening. Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Boy, Moses working hard, y'all. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So that's God's insurance policy for Moses. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, telling them, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Not a hand 
shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So I just want to point out, you're saying this is a love story, but then you're telling me don't touch the mountain, you're going to kill me. That's protection. I think most of us know this. God's saying, you can't get but so close to me because you won't survive it. I want to remind somebody, he is glorious and he is holy. And back in them days, you didn't play around with that. Save that sermon for another day. So Moses went down the mountain to the people, and he sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, be ready for the third day, and do not come near your wives. There's a very interesting point there, but we will have to save that for another day. Verse 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Can I just say something right here? In the scripture, in the Old Testament, okay, it's like in the old days, there was bright flashing lights and smoke. Enough said. (laughs) And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And so this scene continues to play out. There's this mighty encounter between God and His people, and then this is where God issues the Ten Commandments. So I just want to talk to you this final point. So the title of today's sermon was Dirty Laundry. Because part of following God and being consecrated to God, part of taking a journey with God, so we, the New Testament words for these things are discipleship. I'm living a life that honors God. I'm becoming a person that I love God and I love people. As you journey through that journey of Jesus Christ-like discipleship, there are some things that are necessary. Consecration is one of them. And so I can explain consecration very simple. Consecration is a 100% commitment to a 100% covenant. And so consecration are natural acts that have supernatural consequences. And so look at God's mercy. He tells them, hey guys, I want to consecrate you to myself. But they don't have Ten Commandments yet. They don't know what is God's value system, what is His moral code, how should we act, how should we think, how should we live. They don't know these things yet. And so the command is very simple. Just wash your clothes. Just wash your clothes. A simple act that says, God, I'm following you. And I'm ready for everything that you have for me. And then God hands down, if we wanted to call it a document, God hands down the most comprehensive moral compass in the history of the world before Jesus, of course. And so it's a profound, these are profound statements that God is about to give the people. And so here's what I wanted to tell the Gate Church today. We're going to take communion in just a moment. But I felt impressed. I had a different sermon for this weekend. I think uh, I may have told you that. You may remember that. But I felt such a burden in my heart all week um, that I don't, I don't have a note written uh, just because I just I labored over this. I felt that I was supposed to remind this congregation about the significance and the importance of repentance. And I know that that's not a fun word. And it attached to it are a lot of emotion, a lot of bad experiences, some bad teaching probably. 
And there's also some implied things. So I just want to remind you that repentance doesn't make you wrong. Repentance makes you right. (laughs) Repentance doesn't make you wrong. It makes you right. And so I started out with the imagery that I did this morning on purpose where, remember, we walked this curvy path. Christ laid for us a straight path. And so here's what happens. It, it, it's okay. This is life. The Scripture says that Jesus understands all of our weaknesses, our faults, and our temptations. Jesus knows how difficult it is to live a holy life. He knows that it is not easy. He understands when we trip, when we falter, when we fail. He understands when Peter takes his eye off of Jesus in the storm and Jesus has to reach down and pull him out of the troubled water. Did Jesus be like, what the heck are you doing, Peter? Don't take your eye off me. That's not how he operates. He grabs him up and then he kindly, gently reminds Peter, if you're going to walk on water, you got to keep your eyes on me. And I want to remind the gate church today, sometimes living a holy life feels like you're having to walk on water. And sometimes following this holy path that Jesus has laid out for us can be so difficult. And so sometimes we're following him and we're doing real good, but somebody will hurt us. Difficult circumstances arrive. We get bills in the mail that we don't have the money to pay it. I don't know about you, sometimes I lose the victory putting $5 a gallon diesel in my truck. I'm like, God, God, where are you at? I just spent $125 filling my truck up. And then what happens? You start thinking about that and you take your eye off him. And then what happens? The master's still going, but now we're headed this way. It happens in our marriage. It happens in our money. It happens in our relationship with our children. It happens in our relationship with our boss. And what? So what do I do? Do I strive to be perfect? No. No. You don't have to strive. It's so easy. The only thing you'll have to sacrifice is your pride. I'm going to say that again. If you want to repent, the only sacrifice required is your pride. A wise man once told me that anytime you have to humble yourself before God and people, it can't be all bad. That statement changed my life. So when you find yourself off track, what do you do? You repent. And repentance is the mechanism. It's the choice that you make to do what? Get back on the path. And Jesus is on the path watching you go the other way. And so you're way over there and you say, I missed it. God, I was wrong. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. And what does he do? He runs at you like the prodigal son. So he runs and he grabs you and meets you halfway. And he says, it's okay. Come on. We're still on the trip together. I think we need to repent. I think the Lord is giving us an opportunity to make sure we are 100% on the path to consecrate ourselves and say, God, it was you who bore us on eagle's wings. It was you who picked me when I was like a slave. 
And when the rest of the world was looking down on me like a, like a runaway slave, God, you picked me and you, you set me apart and you saved me. And God, I want to be 100% in line with what you're doing. Did you know that any sin is simply the manifestation of I'm not 100% following God? That's really all that sin is. Hey, can I just be straight with you? Like, I love you enough. This is important enough. Like, we don't need to turn this into a cliche. I have to repent. The preacher has to repent. The apostles in old, they had to repent. So it wasn't that they were perfect is what qualified them. What qualifies you is when you know, when you see clearly, God, I've missed it. You don't hesitate. You hit your knees and you say, God, I'm sorry. I need you. God, I can't do this without you. Pride is a torturous taskmaster. There are people, you're listening to me, you are carrying a weight that pride is putting on you. God and the rest of the world is looking at you saying, why are you carrying that? Why are you trying to present to the world that you are perfect and have it all together? You are carrying that burden and you're the only one that's making that happen. God is looking at you saying, come lay that at my feet and I will forgive that and we will move on and I will separate that from you so far. It'll be like being separated the east from the west. So I want you to stay seating and if you, if you need the, implement, the uh, elements of communion this morning, if you, don't, if you didn't get those on your way in, just raise your hand. The ushers will make sure you get those. You guys wouldn't mind handing me mine, please. Thank you. So I'm going to ask my band if they will come. Thank you, Sarah, for being so patient this morning. And so we're going to do a couple of things. I'm going to give time and space for us to do personal repentance. Guys, don't forget, I see Herb over there needed one, I think. Okay, he's good. Man. Never mind. We're going to do... Sorry, Luther, that's my fault. We're going to do some personal repentance. Those are things that are going on in your life, your marriage, your brain, your heart. And then we're going to do corporate repentance. And so sometimes things that we forget... Because we are a holy nation of kingdom of kings and priests, one of the things that we get to do on behalf of our world is we get to repent for things that maybe you didn't do, but they are going on in the world. And we're saying, God, we see that this is going on in the world, and we are sorry that this is happening. God, please forgive us. God, please forgive humanity. And so we're supposed to echo the same cry that Jesus did on the cross. It says, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's something very holy and very powerful when we do that on behalf of our city and the nations of the world. So we'll do that here in just a moment. But if we can, just close your eyes right where you're at. And let's just, you can pray this with me. You can repeat after me. If you don't know what to pray, you can just pray what I pray. But let's say this, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us and to touch our heart. Lord, I humble myself before you. Lord, I set aside my title and I set aside my successes. I lay my crown at your feet. 
I lay how much money I have made at my feet. I lay aside how long I've been married. I lay aside all the accomplishments of my life. And y'all can just bear with me. I'm going to do this. You don't have to, but you can if you want to. But Lord, I humble myself before you. And Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak to me. Lord, we're in covenant, and I give you permission to tell me the things that you want to touch on. So just right where you're at, you just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Here's how that will work. You may remember things that were said or things that were done. Maybe areas where you disobeyed and you struggled over, did I miss it? Did I hear God clearly? Usually the first thing that comes to mind is the Holy Spirit starting to talk to you. And so I'm going to pray some things that may bear witness with you, but... Lord, forgive me where I look down my nose at my brother and my sister. Lord, forgive me where I've mocked other people and their weakness. Lord, forgive me for being critical of other people and being harsh. Lord, you've never been harsh with me. Lord, forgive me where my priorities have gotten out of order. Lord, forgive me where I've worked and spent time trying to be successful when I should have been loving my family. Lord, forgive me if I've given my time to all the needs of my life and not the people in my life. Lord, forgive us where we've been selfish. Not only think about me. Lord, forgive me for thinking I can go through my life without your help. Forgive me of pride, being puffed up, thinking I'm a big deal. God, forgive me for idolatry, where I've made money, houses and cars, success, titles, influence, cufflinks, Italian-made suits. God, forgive me where I've made things more important than you. Because, God, all of those things hasn't delivered me from Egypt. Those things didn't bear me on eagle's wings. God, you did. Lord, forgive us if there's instances and things of substance abuse, addiction. Lord, forgive us of pornography, adultery. Lord, forgive us. So any of these things that I'm praying, if it comes up and you say, man, I've done that, you just say right where you're at, you can just say it so soft under your breath. You just say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And let's just pray this together. Lord, forgive us. Lord, wash us clean of sin. Help us to wash our clothes, the clothes of our soul. Lord, wash us clean. Make us whiter than snow. Some of y'all used to know this old song. <laughs> Lord, nothing can wash me cleaner than your blood. It's, oh, the blood of Jesus that washes me whiter than snow.
I encourage you, when we go home today, there may be people in your life, this is always a thing with when we're married, but sometimes you need to look at your spouse and say, I repent. I repent for my bad attitude. I repent for being harsh, for judgmental. I, I repent for being angry. The scripture says, outbursts of people who have outbursts of wrath shall not inherit the kingdom. And all the married people in the room don't like to talk about it, but we're really bad, that outburst of wrath on each other. And so it's good to repent to God, but then sometimes you need to look at your wife or your husband and say, I lost my cool and I'm sorry. Sometimes we've got to look at our children and say, I was too harsh with you and I am sorry. And so, Lord, we pray this today. Lord, wash us clean, top to bottom, inside and out. Lord, where we've missed it, we are sorry. And Lord, draw us back to you. You need to say that with me today, church. Lord, draw us close to you. Gather us like a mother hen gathers her chicks under the wing. Lord, we want to live under the wing in the shadow of the Almighty today. And then let's pray this together as a congregation. If you don't know what to pray, you can just pray what I pray. Pray along with me. You can say amen or yes and agree with me. But Lord, we take our place as your church. And Lord, we look at the, the pain and the suffering and the devastation, even in our own city, that has been caused by the sin of humanity. And Lord, we see that there's famines in the world and that governments are stockpiling weapons instead of giving people food. And Lord, we see that, that people abuse wealth and riches and take advantage of needy and poor. Lord, we see it. We know it. And Lord, we repent. We stand in the place of our brothers and sisters of humanity. And God, we're looking at the world saying, God, we know it shouldn't be this way. And God, forgive us. I need your help to pray that with me, church. God, forgive us as humanity. Have mercy on all the nations of the world. Lord, have mercy on us where we've killed and butchered each other. Lord, forgive us where we've waged economic warfare against each other and we'll put one in poverty so we can make sure we have ours. God, forgive us for being caught up in sin. And can you help me pray this? God, we ask and we pray that you make Oklahoma City a holy city. Not because of the boundaries that are drawn on some map, God, but because there's holy people living in this city. And so we pray this over Oklahoma City. God dwells here. We want the, the presence of God to dwell in our city. From the Devon Tower to Kingfisher to Norman and to Moore, God, all the way up to Miami. We're way bigger in Oklahoma City now. But God, we just pray that you be in Oklahoma City. And that you'll be in the midst of our humble Midwestern state. You just pray for your neighborhood, wherever you're at. I'm going to pray for my city. God, I pray for the city of Piedmont. And God, I pray that you wash us clean and that you lead us into holiness and righteousness. I speak over my schools and over my governments. There'll be places of wisdom and places of safety because there's holy and righteous people living there. People who are washed by the blood and bought with the blood. Now, with that in mind, I think it's appropriate for us to remind ourselves 
of why we get to repent and how that we know we're forgiven. Most of us know the story well, but before Jesus went to the cross, he sat with his disciples and he said, I have desired so much to have this meal with you because I want to teach you and remind you even after I'm gone that I'm going to give my body for you. The scripture says that he bore stripes for our healing and he was bruised for our iniquity. Healing is in the body, iniquity is in the soul. And so he will forgive us and heal us, whether it's inside or out. And so as you take the body today, I remind you that our King and our Master who rescued us, He paid the price for us to be healed and to be whole inside and out. With that in mind, take and let's eat. love it so much because it's so precious it's so precious that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be and become the righteousness of God a price had to be paid for sin and the price was blood and there was only one who had perfect, spotless blood. He had no sin in him. And he carried a weight and a burden for us that we couldn't carry. He walked a path that we couldn't carry. So that when times are difficult, all we have to do is follow the blood trail. We've asked the Lord to forgive us. And what you hold in your hand is a symbol that he has. What you hold in your hand is a symbol. We know that he is faithful to forgive us. And so when you drink today, you know that no matter what you've repented for, you're clean of it. And you're separated from it. And he's washed you whiter than snow. Let's take together and let's drink. Can we sing nothing but the blood? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus say oh precious is the blood that makes me
over the room this morning. Come on, church, tell him. Say, oh, precious. the hand of your neighbor beside you don't make it weird don't stare longingly into their eyes unless you're married won't you just look at them and say thank you for helping me do my dirty laundry <laughs> so help me pray over our neighbor today Lord I call my neighbor today blessed I call them holy and I call them righteous. Not because I said so, but because Jesus said so. Won't you look at your neighbor and just let them know, say, you are forgiven. Come on now, is there anybody that you're happy today? You're blessed today? Anybody feel light as a feather? Because I am forgiven. y'all just help me do something I promise I'm not going to drag this out take two seconds just say thank you Jesus for forgiving me come on y'all give God a hand clap of praise I'm going to let the band sing us out I want you to know that I love you our team loves you you have an amazing day go and be blessed what a wonderful morning that we had this morning of worshiping God and remembering how much He loves us. This morning we were reminded that from the very beginning of time that God had a purpose and a plan for us. We were wonderfully and fearfully made by Him. And even when we run astray, we go far away from God, God it says that in the scripture that we read this morning, that God bore us on eagles' wings and brought him, uh, us to Himself, close to Himself. Why? Because it says that we are His special treasure. He loves us with an everlasting love. And uh, I just want to remind you that God has called us a kingdom of priests and a holy people, a holy nation. This morning... Pastor Jordan led us to a place of repentance. Sometimes we feel that we're far away from God, that we've sinned, that there's no way of coming back. But Pastor Jordan led us into a prayer of repentance and says that God wants to purify us. He wants to wash us inside and out and make us right before God. Hi, my name is Matt Bennett and I lead a connection group on Wednesday night online. And so if you're away from Oklahoma City and would like to, to be a part of the, the discipleship program here uh, at the Gate Church, please uh, hit the, the link below and find out more information of how you uh, can be a part of our connection group on Wednesday night. Because we want you to, to learn how, what it means to be a kingdom of priests 
and a holy people. Uh, can I pray for you this morning as we leave? Lord, thank you so much for the people that you have brought to the Gate Church. Thank you for this means of communication through Facebook and uh, um, online services. And so, Father, I just pray that you will bless them and that you will remind them that you, they are special, a special treasure to you. Father, give us a great week. Let your blessings flow among your people and bring us back here safely next week. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Have a wonderful week.